This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Digital transformation is a $1.7 trillion industry, yet, according to McKinsey & Company, 70% of attempts end up failing. Our next guest says that the reason why that number is so high is that there is a lack of clear goals and a disciplined process in achieving them. He also attributes some of the issues to confusing terminology. Tony Soldana is the president of Transformant, a consulting firm helping organizations through digital transformations. He's the former vice president for IT and shared services with Procter & Gamble, and he has a new book out looking at this titled Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and to Stay Ahead. And it's a pleasure to have him joining us right now. Tony, welcome. Thank you, Dan. A pleasure. Thank you. So give us a sense of, uh, of your work in this area surrounding Procter & Gamble, because I have, uh, most of the people listening to us uh, I have used uh, several Procter & Gamble products al- along the way. Yes, I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, so um, I had the incredible privilege over 27 years at Procter & Gamble uh, uh, to, to essentially be associated with and run uh, internal business processes called Global Business Services, at Procter & Gamble in every region of the world. And, and those are everything from, you know, the way you do accounting to HR to supply chain planning uh, to, to advertising and so on and so forth. Um, and here's the ironic problem that I was faced with about four years ago. Uh, P&G's IT and global business services uh, was uh, identified to be best in class in the industry, so vis-a-vis competition, similar capabilities. Right. Um, but internally, we knew that that was insufficient because our bigger competition was no longer the other large companies, but startups, which have a 50% cost advantage and a 10 times agility advantage. And so the issue that we were faced with was how do we create the next generation of those internal business operations so that we can start to compete with who matters the most, which is the startup. So what that meant was things such as instead of having, you know, um, several hundred people do accounts receivables across the world uh, for things like, you know, identifying whether a particular discount or claim is valid from a customer, can you use robots to do that, right? Or, you know, things like, you know, I'll give you a, a, a great example which resonates with everybody. In today's world where... There is enough data on every spend that you do during your business travel on your credit card. Why would you ever force an employee to create an expense report ever, right? Sure, yeah. So those are the kind of examples that we got into. And and so I would think that, that the retail sector, just in general, is, is something that has been impacted significantly by this. You're absolutely correct. Um, the retail uh, sector is probably one of the first industries um, to be uh, disrupted by digital technology, which has driven the term the retail apocalypse. Um, now, you know, certainly Amazon and, and many of the similar digital native companies have driven that. Uh, but by the way, retail is not alone because insurance, medicine, you know, uh, finance, uh, uh, you know, media, so on and so forth are, are all far behind uh, and not far behind. So what's happening in retail is three things. One is the rise of completely new business models, mm-hmm. which is, you know, now you have online or uh, uh, online plus physical presence in addition to what used to exist uh, 10 years ago, which was physical stores. The second is dramatically improved internal business operations. So, 
you know, as a consumer, you know immediately when you place an order with Amazon, what is happening, and you know, you get delivery, which means dramatically improved logistics within 24 hours. The product is there, and the third is the rise of smart products. So, you know, not just your, uh, uh, you know, uh, smartphones. But now, you know, the, 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 the arising of smart clothing and so on and so forth. Right. And that's an example of how digital can transform completely an entire industry. So how then do you go about and you lay out in the book, you try and, and see if you can lessen the potential for failure in this digital transformation? Yes, you do. And, and you really have to. Um, and... and um, uh, you know, uh, 10 seconds of context of why uh, you have to do that, because we're in the midst, as, as you know, your listeners all know, of an industrial revolution, the fourth industrial revolution, okay. where digital is transforming, not as a technology, but it's transforming other technologies, medicine, bio, you know, physical drones, you know, so on and so forth. So you really, really have no choice but to transform yourself. And yet, as you pointed out, 70% of digital transformations fail. Now, um, how you go about it is actually, firstly, and this is really what I'm trying to do, is drive education on narrowing down on the precise meaning of digital transformation. Um, I had the opportunity of actually talking to 100 executives uh, about three or four years ago, and, and I asked each of them the same question. Mm -hmm. What does digital transformation mean to you? And I got, you know, as you can imagine, <laughs> a range of answers all the way from, oh, don't worry about it. This is all hype. We used to have digital watches in the 1970s, <laughs> all the way through, oh, you've got to worry about it because, you know, it's all about, you know, AI and, 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 and everything coming for our jobs. And the fact of the matter is that I understand why there's so many different interpretations because the term digital is fuzzy. And so what I try in the, and do in the book is basically provide five different levels of digital transformation. Real digital transformation, to be precise, is basically the rewiring of an existing enterprise so that your physical products become smarter, your go-to-market models become more digital, so, you know, online versus physical, and your internal operations become at least two times as, as efficient. But it's a journey of five stages all the way from you automate, uh, so, you know, your typical accounting kind of stuff, which is stage one, all the way through stage five, where not only have you changed your processes, people, and other rewiring, but your organization culture becomes right. completely digital, right? And so being extremely clear about what you're aiming at and being very precise on which stage you are on that journey is the number one issue uh, that most companies face. I think a lot of people, when you talk about culture in business, they they, they have this worry of, of, it, of the culture being impacted significantly when you're talking about change. But when you're talking about culture in, in this digital landscape that we are in, I would think there is maybe not as much concern because of how much we know about it these days. That is correct. So I, I think... Um, the, the concern isn't as much about knowledge and, and, and what's necessary in an organization for culture. The bigger challenge in most organizations is basically how do you change the behaviors and the motivations of the organization so that the organization essentially acts with the agility and the urgency of a startup. And that's obviously a harder transition. And that's really where a lot of the fears among the boards and, and CEOs among the Fortune 100 that I uh, consult with, they have, which is, how do I almost redo 
my organization's agility and skills, digital skills, to compete with the startups. And that's obviously a very, very hard problem. But, you know, as I say in the book, um, the, the, the first step is to essentially have an organization plan. I'll give you an example. Amazon recently announced that they're setting aside $700 million to retrain uh, their entire organization in yeah. digital capabilities. And, and you know, I, I fell off my chair when I heard that because Amazon is arguably one of the most tech-savvy companies in the world. Mm. And if they realize that this is not a static goal but a constant reinvestment, you know, that shows you the difference between the company that's just starting to think about digital literacy and the one that's, you know, in stage five. How tough or, well, let me rephrase this. How prevalent then is the idea that, that this is a long-term process and not just one time throw the checkbook at it and, and move on from there? Um, you know, I, I, I wish uh, I could say that, you know, this, this understanding is fairly prevalent. Um, but, you know, at least in the research that I did, I, I talked about, um, you know, the 100 companies that I spoke with. Yeah. Um, I did not really find that, um, uh, that, that understanding. Um, clearly, I think, you know, the, the, the best-in-class literature that's out there is starting to drive the message that digital transformation is an ongoing journey, uh, and, and you get there only by changing the DNA of the organization. Mm-hmm. So the organization always cannibalizes its own business morals and, and keeps reinventing. Mm-hmm. And, and so in the, in the top, you know, one uh, or two percent of the companies in the world, you see that because that's second nature. That's what Netflix did because it's reinvented a business model four times now from, you right. know, mail-in to, uh, to, to streaming, to original content, to international but that's not as common uh, in among the rest of the companies. You mentioned the Washington Post uh, in here as an example, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on, on how they have done this, especially in a, in a sector like journalism in the new newspaper industry, which is very volatile the last decade or so. Yeah, Washington Post is is a fantastic um, uh, example uh, because I think um, you know all of the three ways of digital disruption that I was talking about, right? So change your internal operations, um, you, you know, you go to market differently, uh, and you actually create smarter products is, is, is something that they executed. So here's what happened when Jeff Bezos uh, acquired Washington Post, right? So first and foremost, um, he basically set aside a lot of his personal time to drive the understanding that digital transformation wasn't a one-and-done kind of deal. So this was an ongoing thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he got that, uh, obviously, because, you know, he being Jeff Bezos here. <laughs> um, the second thing he did was he personally worked with the engineers to change their internal operations. Here's what happens in most newspapers. Newspapers come from a daily cycle of news, right? So you have the 10 a.m. meeting that talks about your next day's newspaper, whereas in real you know, social media kind of world, this is an ongoing thing, which means tagging the content, you know, being able to publish in real time. All of that needs totally different systems. And so Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post engineers completely redid many of their content-related systems. So that's the internal business operations. And then the third thing, which is how do you create smarter news? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not just report it, but have the, the ability to engage your consumers and give more value you know, that's another thing of what he did. So I think this is a great example of even a somewhat traditional industry 
it is possible to drive systemic digital transformation. You uh, you also take a look at this from the historical perspective, and I and I love dipping back in time and and seeing examples like this. And you talk about Studebaker, which when you when you think about the auto industry going back what seventy or eighty years, Studebaker yeah. was a well known brand. It was considered to be one one of the best brands out there, and then all of a sudden it vanished. Yeah. Yeah, I um, uh, like you, Dan. I, I, I love history, and, and you know, especially if we're talking about this in the context of industrial revolutions. Yeah, obviously, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So, uh, here's the backstory of the automobile industry vis-a-vis the, the previous avatar of that, which is you know the carriage industry, right? So, um, you know, in the early 1900s, um, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of carriage providers. Um, actually, only one or two of them successfully transitioned from the carriage industry to the automobile industry. And Studebaker was actually one of those, right? Um, so this was to the point you were making earlier about a one-time transformation is insufficient. Studebaker actually transitioned one time from carriage to automobile. And yet, you know, 40, 50 years later, they were dead, right? And what happened was that inability to essentially drive constant reinvention. In the case of Studebaker, they made brilliant cars. You know, some of their cars, even today, are considered to be the absolute best um, you know, when it comes to collector items. And yet what happened was the inability to, to, to essentially reduce costs, to save the money, to drive research and development, to constantly upgrade, that entire cycle was not done. And that's why we have the sad story of Studebaker not longer being around. We're joined by Tony Saldana, who is the author of the book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, The Surprising Disciplines of How to Take Off and Stay Ahead. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Now, just playing off the, the, the title of the book, it's one thing to do the transformation. It's another thing to be able to do it and, as you say, stay ahead. How do you do that? Right. Um, and and um, the, the way you do that is, is essentially uh, in my five-stage framework. Stage four is when you're able to transform the one time, and stage five is when you're able to sustain it. Um, and the way you do that is essentially by not just changing or swapping out your old technology to digital technology, um, but then to essentially change the living DNA of the organization, right? Mm-hmm. This is when, you know, um, like, like many of the successful companies in history, the organization essentially looks to reinvent itself. So the, the, the single-minded goal of we are in the business of delighting the, the, the customer of whatever products that we make, and I'm going to put the needs of those customers beyond the functional role that I have in the company, that's what really drives that, right? And, 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 and then, of course, the internal processes that reward that behavior and, and allow that risk-taking to happen. You know, what this takes is the, the single-minded customer focus that you might find with, you know, like icons like Zappos, where, you know, uh, call center agents may spend, and, and this is a true example, you know, 10 hours on the phone with the customer not even talking about Zappos, but, you know, just chatting because that's what the customer wanted them to do. Uh, it, and, and that kind of single-minded focus on the customer and that kind of risk-taking and doing whatever is needed, 
for the business to, to, to maintain that equity is absolutely essential. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at Biz Radio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney 21. A couple of the other examples that, that caught my attention in the book, uh, one involving your former company, Procter & Gamble, uh, and how it worked to integrate Gillette. Yes, um, that, that was a, a, a very good and a very personal example for me as well. So um, the, the context there is that in 2005, Procter & Gamble acquired uh, the Gillette company. And, uh, but, you know, part of the, the, the promise that uh, my boss at that time made was he said, we will essentially take the internal operations, so, you know, all the financials and supply chain and all that kind of stuff, uh, related systems, and we will run that at the same budget and headcount at Procter & Gamble mm-hmm. pre-acquisition. So in other words, we will swallow that entire company without taking up either the P&G headcount or budgets, right? Right. And, and, and you know, obviously, that's a tall order uh, in any situation. But you know, when you have a business of uh, you know, $10 billion of sales and, and you try and absorb all of that, that's, that's tough. But the way I think we were able to do that was you know, we started with uh, being extremely clear of that particular goal and then using a simple message of if we need to deliver Wall Street synergies of, you know, these amounts, this is what it means on a daily basis for right. every day of delay. And so every challenge that you come across in the process, you go back and say, you know, is this problem worth so many million dollars a day? of risking Wall Street synergies. And if that's the case, we're happy to talk. If not, let's roll, right? And so being extremely clear about the goal and rolling the entire organization, and of course, not to mention the the executional efficiency and, 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 you know, integrity, uh, that's an absolute fantastic case study of uh, how, you know, that worked successfully. All right, let's go to the phones for a second. Kevin is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with a question. Kevin, go ahead, sir. Hi, yes. I'm an IT manager, and uh, we're um, making a digital transformation sort of to, with automation. Um, and it's interesting because I, I managed to share services that have piqued my interest of uh, giving your background. And what I would like to um, understand, can you provide a, like a practical uh, example uh, of changing the DNA of my team, you know, as we... Uh, journey down this automation path? Yes, absolutely. Happy to. Great question, Kevin. Um, so I think um, the, 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 there are several ways um, where we can actually drive the, the, the DNA of the organization towards two things. So, you know, we're talking very specifically a culture of absolute focus on the customer. And then the second is a culture of, uh, you know, smart risk-taking, right? And, and, and I want to be extremely clear. Most businesses in IT or shared services have three different components. It's the day-to-day operations, right? And, and, and the culture there you want is of stability, right? So don't take stupid risks. Just deliver the service-level agreements and, you know, just get that done right. And most organizations have that right, so I'm not going to try and address that. The second part of the work that you guys do is essentially continuous improvement. So, you know, we're currently on this version of SAP. We're going to go to the next one, and that's project management. And the culture there that you need is disciplined project management. 
The third, which is really where I want to focus on, is that culture of not only do I want to do the first two, but I want to drive 10x disruption. And the culture there you need is um, risk-taking, smart risk-taking, and customer focus. The way we did that was to essentially create a very separate reward system and a separate group that we could then hold as example for the rest of the organization. So, for example, you know, what you want to do in that small 10x disruptive organization is to say, hey, you know, I'm going to hold you accountable for so much of value creation, so many millions of dollars, right? Um, I don't care which of your 10 projects that you work on succeed, but I'm going to, going to hold you accountable for the outcomes. And by the way, I'm going to reward you if eight out of those 10 projects or nine are still failures, but then one of them is successful. And the freedom and the culture that that generates and the knock-on effect on the rest of the organization to see how outcomes matter more than your job description is a fantastic uh, uh, outcome. And then the second thing is customer focus, which is driving training, driving the awareness, you know, getting people in front of the customers on a day-to-day basis. That really does help. Kevin, thanks very much for the call, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132. Uh, quickly, have about a minute left, Tony. I did want to bring up Google because you talk about them in the book and, and this 70-20-10 ratio that, that, that they used. That's a great question. So 70-20-10 is, is you know, somewhat uh, similar to what I was just describing to Kevin. Google has this formula where 70% alphabet now uh, of their effort is against day-to-day activities. 20% is against continuous improvement, and 10% is against disrupting themselves. So, you know, that's stuff such as Google X, you know, creating driverless cars or, you know, um, balloon internet and, and things like that. And the reason I, I love them, uh, I love that particular model, is because most companies distinguish, of course, between day-to-day activities and change. They don't distinguish between those three buckets of day-to-day change and disrupt yourself. In the midst of an industrial revolution, which is where we are, if you do not have some activity, some investment in the third bucket, then you're definitely going to be left behind. And that's why I'm such a strong proponent of that model. Tony, thanks very much for your time. Good luck with the book. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you. Why Digital Transformations Fail is the name of the book. Tony Saldana is the author of the book, president of Transformit, and former uh, vice president for IT and shared services with Procter & Gamble. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 